Hey, welcome to Cornerstone Ministries Young Adult Podcast. We hope this serves as a resource for you as you seek, find, and grow in your walk with Jesus. Tune in for sermon audios from our young adult services and other original content. If you already have a home church, we're glad this could be another tool for you. But if not, we hope that you would check us out online at cornerstonelive.net or join us in person. Cornerstone is in Murraysville, PA, and services are Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11. Our young adult ministry gathers every other Tuesday at 7 p.m. We hope you walk away from each podcast feeling encouraged and motivated to live your life more like Jesus. Amen. All right, guys, excited to be continuing on in our Understanding God's Will series. Uh, Just kind of a quick recap. Week one, we really dug into the fact that God prioritizes our character and our identity first. And then as he begins to shift and and kind of change our character, uh, draw us closer to himself, make us more holy, as he works on those things, our decisions follow after the fact. And that funneled us to this idea that God's will functions in in, uh, pastures first and patches second. And to kind of remind us of that, that idea of if God is our shepherd, he's drawing us into a pasture and allows us to graze, to be fed, to grow. There are seasons in our life where he says, hey, come over here to this specific thing, this specific patch of grass. Um, So there are seasons he calls us to specific things. But when we wrestle with that idea of, well, how do I know if I'm out of God's will? What if I make the wrong choice, the wrong decision? Well, God looks at us and says, hey, as long as you remain within the pasture, as long as your character, your identity is found in me, the decisions, the individual patches of grass that I've called you to feed on and graze at, uh, they're going to become more clear. And last week or two weeks ago, we got a little deeper a little more difficult wrestling with that idea of how is it that this junk, this terrible experience, the hurt that I've gone through, how is that supposed to be a part of God's plan for me? And we ripped into Romans 8.28 and understood that as we look at that verse in its original language, we start to see that when we sacrificially lay down our life before the Lord, that he is going to empower all things to make us more holy for the purpose of making his name known. And that is a, it's a difficult kind of grueling process to walk through. Um, but where I wanted to go through for tonight and then for our final time in a couple of weeks is get into a little bit more of the specifics. So our last time we're gonna be going through seven filters and making decisions and it's probably one of the most significant pieces of information I got out of my time uh, in college and in seminary. It's probably one of the things I've hung on to the most uh, tightly since college. But where I want to go tonight is I want to wrestle with this concept of how do my plans and my desires and my goals, how do those fit into God's plan? The things that I feel led to do, are those things coming from him or are those things, uh, you know, are those ideas and thoughts things I need to let go of to pursue something else that, that God is calling me to? And when we look at all of those things together, and we kind of, the reason I wanted to reintroduce some of those concepts from our first uh, two times together within this series is to draw us into this point of refocusing in on the concept of that pasture. That what are the boundaries of God's will for me? 
And when we look at uh, Matthew 22, it's probably the most specific, the most simple passage that kind of gives us that framework, those boundaries to understand, hey, what has God called me into? How has he called me to live? How has he called me to function as a follower of him? But uh, let's look look at this together. Matthew 22, starting in verse uh, 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, up to this point, this wouldn't have surprised any of the Jews. Now, guys, if you haven't done this before, I really encourage you, make sure you look into the backgrounds of each of the Gospels. Because the theme of that gospel changes how you view the book as a whole. So the gospel of Matthew is written by Matthew, a a Jew, and he's writing to a Jewish audience. That's why Matthew is the only gospel that starts with an in-depth dive into Jesus' genealogy, because his Jewish audience would care deeply about that. The reason Matthew records this interaction in this way is because up to that point, the Jews would go, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because what this is, is it's the Shema, which comes out of Deuteronomy 6. It says, hear, O Israel, Yahweh is God, Yahweh is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And it goes on to talk about it. It says that you shall bind these words as a frontlet between your eyes and on the backs of your hands. And you still have practicing Jews to this day who will wear almost like a, it, it just looks like a, a, a bandana with a little wooden box. They'll strap it to their foreheads as they read from the Torah. And as they pray over these passages, they believe in this so much. So this wouldn't have been a surprise to them that he would say this. But this next part kind of, Change the game just a little bit. Verse 39. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So on these two concepts, love God, love people. That is the framework. That is the core of my will for you. That is your pasture to love God and love people. So, hey, what God, what school do you want me to go to? Okay, are you going to love me and love people at Pitt? Are you going to love me and love people at CMU? And if your answer is yes, then I would argue that those two patches of grass are all within God's pasture. He may be leading you to one in particular, but we shouldn't be walking through life with this fear of like, man, what if I make the wrong choice? What if I do this? If you are seeking to love God and love people, you have found that framework, that guiding factor. But now, if I'm pursuing those things, how does that fit into the the urge and the desire that I have to go into this particular field? I feel like I, I, I want to be a nurse. I want to be an engineer. I want to start my own small business. How does those, how do those desires, how do those goals, how do they fit in to these commands and how do they work together? Well, first I want to look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. And guys, this really kind of gives us a a key framework here in understanding uh, where we're going tonight. But Ephesians 4, 1 through 7, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And we're going to come back to that. I want to to rip that apart a little bit. 
I want to dig into that. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there's a, there's a couple different elements here. But one little, one little piece in here I want to I highlight real quick before we move on uh, in verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. I really encourage you guys, if you have never done a study of the Alleluons, the one another's, there is a massive chunk of one another's in the New Testament that give us a beautiful structure and framework to how we're supposed to interact with brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you kind of build them all together, it gives you a great almost litmus test to, to evaluate the, the Christian relationships that you have in your life. So if you have never just, even you, you just Google the one another's in the Bible, they're going to pop up a list of all the different one another's, or the, the Greek word, aledions, um, all the different, you know, love one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens. Um, so many good passages around that. But where I want to really focus in is verse 1, but we had to put everything in context. So I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Those two concepts, the, the concept of calling. I feel like God has placed a calling on my life. What is God calling me to? What has he wired me for? Well, all of this flows. So the two Greek words there are kalesis and kaleo, and they flow right into the Greek word for church, ekklesia, the called out ones. But here's what's so interesting about these two words. They're translated very similarly in English, but when you look at them a little more deeply, it changes our understanding of the passage. That kalesis literally means calling or an invitation. And this word is kind of like the concept of invitation to a feast, an invitation to a party, so to speak. But then the second word, kaleo, they don't, they're not the same root word. They're... they're, they're strongly connected, but there's a deeper meaning to kaleo, and it actually means to call by name, to receive a name, to bear a name or title. So what I love about this is when you look at this passage and you, and you take in that deeper understanding of those two words, I, want, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the invitation that you have received by name. That God has invited you into something by name. That he wants you to receive and then bear. And the reason this plays into our concept of understanding God's will. What does God have for me? What does he want for me? And this plays into what we talked about last week. The purpose of making his name renowned. So you have now been invited to bear his name. Walk worthy of that. You have been invited to receive that title as a co-inheritor of the kingdom of God. That is a heavy title. Walk worthy of that. Okay? And guys, even, even this passage itself, it kind of gives us almost a, a secondary support to that major uh, focal point that we have for this ministry. Stand firm, right? 
coming out of Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, that we no longer be little, little children tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. We have to stand firm on what we know to be true. And a big reason, the primary reason, is because we have to walk worthy of the invitation to bear his name. To carry his name. That title of being a follower of Jesus. Being one of the called out ones. That's heavy. It's intimidating. Now here's where things kind of shift a little bit. And they get interesting. If my primary focal point. When I ask that question. God what is your will for me? What is your, remember that word will. Your desire for me. What do you take pleasure in for me? If your primary desire for me is to love you and love people, and in doing that, I am receiving your name, I'm bearing your name, I'm carrying your name as I go. When we start to understand that that is the primary focus of God's will for us, not only does it, not only can it infiltrate every area of our life, it supersedes it, but what's awesome is, is we're going to see how it starts to morph and shape us in such a way that our plans and desires start to look more like his. And then the things that we feel called into as individuals start to fit into God's plan. So I want to look at this. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. You got the, the Great Commission sitting right in the middle of that. Awesome passage of scripture, but we often we misinterpret the context of this. Matthew 28, starting verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I really want to focus in on that word go. Because it is in the imperfect tense. So, actually means as you are going. And if you guys haven't figured it out by now, I love looking into the original language. But the word there literally means to carry with you. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. You may at some point in your life, if you have not already, you may at some point in your life feel a deeper yearning and calling into full-time vocational ministry in some way or another. But the great commission given to the disciples is not limited to those disciples, but rather those who have been invited to bear his name. You staying with me? We've been invited to bear his name, so the great commission falls to us as those who carry his name. It is not limited to those who have been called to pastor or to be missionaries or to be worship leaders. It is not limited to the people who've been called into vocational ministry. So here's what happens, guys, is so often we punt on this. We punt on this and we say, well, as long as my church teaches the gospel, I just have to invite somebody to church. No, no, that's not you fulfilling your call because the church did not exist. It was the 11. The church did not exist. Jesus is giving this to his followers in that moment. And it's now been given to us as those who bear his name. So here's this beautiful harmony and application. It's, it's twofold. One, 
The Great Commission falls to you and to me as individuals, not to the institution of the church. We have been called to make disciples. Brandon has been called to make disciples. Alex has been called to make disciples. Anna has been called to make disciples. Max has been called to make disciples. We collectively as the body of Christ forming a community of believers, the church, we are together going and making disciples. But that does not replace the individual call placed on your life. But that word, as you are going, carry with you. That creates a presence of this commandment that infiltrates every area of your life. So I've, I've mentioned this in passing in conversation with some of you before, that before I felt called into ministry, um, I was thinking about being a high school math teacher. And so this was, what, two nights ago? My, just in random passing, my wife and I are sitting on the couch, and we're like, hey, let's see if we still know how to do long division. And, um, well, I messed it up badly because... The, that's not how we got there, but <laughs> I was trying to be nice. I was trying to be nice. Uh, but we're sitting there, and I'm trying to re-explain long division to my wife, which, first of all, I messed it up terribly, and I'm pretty sure I got it completely wrong. So not only has the Lord called me away from that, but he's also removed any ability to do math in me permanently, entirely. That's just, he's, re he's stripped all of that out of me, and my wife is nodding true. Um, touche, hun, touche. Um, but tried to tutor my wife in math when, when we were dating at the time, and literally we were ready to end our relationship at the end of that session. So I realized I could do math, but I could not explain it for the life of me. I could do math, could not explain it for the life of me. But I, I go to college, and I'm sitting in an intra-level youth ministries class, and at this point I'm still kind of, I, I got a foot in, in two boats. You know, I got, I got one foot in two different canoes, and I feel like I'm being, you know, pulled in two completely different directions. And some of that's coming from pressure, you know, from my parents saying, hey, just keep math as a minor, keep it as a fallback if you're thinking about doing this ministry thing. And I was really wrestling with this. And the, the class I was in, the professor brought in his brother as a guest speaker who was serving as a youth pastor. And, and I go up to him after class and, and I, I said, hey man, I, you know, um, and at this point I'm 18. Um, so no, I did not walk up to a guest lecture and say, hey man. Um, I said, hey, excuse me, can I, can I have, have a word with you? And he pulled me aside and I said, hey, listen, I'm really wrestling with whether or not I feel like God's calling me into ministry. And he said, okay, well, what were you thinking about doing before wrestling with this? He's like, well, I was thinking about being a high school math teacher. So what do you think I should do? Should I, should I go teach or, or should I go into youth ministry? And he looks at me and he's like, uh, I don't care. That literally what he said to me. He said, I do not care. I'm, and I, I kind of am taken aback. In that moment, like, what do you mean you don't care? You just came to a youth ministry class to talk about how awesome youth ministry is. I'm telling you, I'm thinking about doing it. I was waiting for you to say, yeah, man, do it. It's going to be awesome. So I was really confused by his response. And he said, listen, if you're called into youth ministry, that's awesome. But if not, I don't care because God needs godly men teaching in our public school systems. So the calling on your life as a godly man, on a godly, as a godly woman, is not limited to full-time vocational ministry. You walking in a manner worthy of the invitation to bear the name of Jesus is not limited to one specific profession. It is not limited to one specific address or physical location. 
but how you let your command to love God and love people, are you letting that permeate into your wiring and gifting and how God is leading you in the avenue of profession or job or career, however you want to word that? And we, we had this, uh, every, every year, we had a missions emphasis week. And there was kind of this running joke around missions emphasis week. And uh, we had all these different missionaries come in and speak. And there was this, there was this group, um, I can't remember if it was called, the, I think it was called like the Children of the World Choir. But they would have these, um, these orphan kids. And these kids were like choreographed better than the Rockettes. It was crazy. Like they were coming from Kenya and all these different countries and they would travel and they would, they would receive education and all this stuff and they were really talented kids. But it was just this huge push on missions and um, every year there would always be this, this running joke of just, ah, oh, man, I hope I don't, God doesn't call me to go to Africa or something. As if being called into missions was going to have this kind of burdened, like, oh no, like I can't believe God's calling me into this. But here's where I want to shift things a little bit, okay? And I'm going I'm to jump ahead, guys. I, I, want, I want to jump ahead to this. Psalm 37.4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And some of you guys have, have heard this phrase before. You've heard it tossed around or mentioned before. You know, God doesn't uh, call the equipped. He equips the called. And... Yes, that, that phrase is true. At the same time, we see this scriptural support for the, for the concept of God equips you, but that doesn't mean you're ever adequate enough for the job. Because as soon as you think you're at a place where, like, I got this, that's when God's not able to use you in the, anymore because you're not, allowing, you're not allowing yourself to be used by God. Now you're functioning out of your own strength. But so that's, a, that's another topic. The point I'm trying to make is not only is it a calling in the sense of I'm going to call you, I'm going to equip you, I'm going to do what I need to do with you to prepare you for this. But before he equips you, he burdens you. So the joke of like, oh man, I hope God doesn't call me to Africa. It's kind of a, a childish joke because at the end of the day, you need to realize if God's going to call you to something, he's going to break your heart for it. So if God ever did call me to missions, it's not going to be like, oh no, it's, he's going to be preparing something in me. He's going to be stirring something in me long beforehand. And I don't know about you guys, but if you've ever walked through this season of life where you feel like you have this almost hyper-spiritual guilt on you of, well, I want to serve the Lord, but I've always wanted to be a doctor. So does that mean because now I'm serving God, I have to give up on these things that I feel like I'm gifted in and I want to pursue because I have to pursue the Lord. Not necessarily. Because here's the, here's the practical piece. Here's where I want to spend some time talking about your shape. And I want to dig into this. You can jump back one slide. I want to dig into this deeper at, a, at another time with you guys. But at a high level, I want to run through this. That God has wired you for something. And the analogy I like to use with this is, is hitting your spiritual sweet spot. Um, and I'm not very good in any way, shape, or form, but I do love to, I do love to golf. It is a lot of fun. Um, and is anybody in here like to golf? Anybody? Anybody in here good at golf? Jeremy was like, mm, I'll put my hand up. <laughs> yeah, I'll put my hand up. But um, maybe some of you are like mini golf? Yeah, sure. 
Um, I'm gonna end up taking this club hat off if I don't move this table back a little more. But, uh, but guys, if you ever go and play golf, all right, that's the driver, the big dog. You ever heard that phrase, let the big dog eat? You know, grip it and rip it. All right, but uh, what's so irritating about this game is you can see it on the front of this, there's like this little circle, it's the same exact size of a golf ball. And when you're, when you're swinging a golf club at like full speed to try and hit the ball, you, like there's a lot of margin for error. But here's what's interesting about this. When you decide to serve the Lord and you're functioning outside of your shape, you just kind of jump in and start serving somewhere. I want you to think of it like this. If you stepped up and you hit a golf ball, you could hit it on the toe or the heel. You could top it. You could skull it. Where, you know, all these different things. You could jack up your, your golf shot. The ball's still going somewhere. And at this point, some of you are like, dude, I probably missed five times before I even clipped the thing. The ball's still going somewhere, but golfers call it puring the shot. Usually when they talk about iron, they say puring that when you hit the ball dead center where you want to hit it, it goes longer and straighter and it's more effective. So when you're functioning out of your shape, in my mind, that's hitting that, hitting that sweet spot. Yes, if you're, if you're serving in a ministry that you're not really wired for, you're still having impact, absolutely. What I would hope is that you would all would learn to discover your shape and your effectiveness in serving in ministry becomes even sweeter. Okay, so S stands for spiritual gift. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, you know, there's passages that lay out the different gifts of the Spirit, how we all have different functions and forms and how we all work together as one body in Christ. And if you guys have never taken a spiritual gifts test, I strongly encourage you just Google free spiritual gifts test. There's a lot of good ones out there. Out there, excuse me. Uh, maybe I'll email out a couple to you um, after this evening for you guys to check out. But understanding your spiritual gifts, whether it's hospitality or administration, uh, shepherding or leadership, teaching, preaching, uh, wisdom, whatever those things might be, understanding what has God placed in me in a divine fashion. The Holy Spirit has placed something into me. Um, I kid you not, I almost failed my high school communications class. Like, I just, I've had it confirmed time and time again. My spiritual gifts are 100% teaching and preaching. They are not of my own doing. Um, but the second is your heart. Your passions. Your passions, your desires. That God wants to take the things that he's planted in you and the natural interests that have come out of you and find this beautiful harmony. So even for me, trying to wrestle through, is God calling me into ministry? Is he, uh, you know, am I going to be a teacher? I feel like the Lord was saying, hey, Brennan, you got like the, the concept of teaching right, but you got the subject matter wrong. You got the context wrong. So like there were things that the Lord was preparing in my heart already beforehand. So it wasn't this massive leap for me. Yes, there was a huge step of faith. I mean, I think wrestling through that concept of calling, I was thinking, man, being a high school math teacher, guaranteed job, guaranteed salary, not a high salary, but guaranteed salary as a teacher. But to go into ministry, I mean, I had professors who were who just drilling into us in college. If there's anything else you can see yourself doing, do that instead. Because the level of spiritual warfare you wade into, the level of, of, of difficulty you're possibly inviting into your life. I had professors who spent years living in trailer parks. Like, just the fact that I have a full-time job in a church blows my mind. 
So it was, a, it was a leap of faith, but it wasn't a massive step in a sense of, this is something God has been building up in me. So your spiritual gifts, your heart, or your passions. But then there's your natural abilities. Exodus 31, really awesome passage that drives home this concept, is there are spiritual gifts Gifts from the Holy Spirit that he plants into you, that the Holy Spirit lights a fire in you, things that you could never have acquired on your own. But then Exodus 31, starting in verse 1, this is not going to be up on the screen. The Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Now that concept of craftsmanship, those are not spiritual gifts. But these two guys had grown and been trained into a craft and they were natural abilities that God wanted to put to use for his kingdom. So you might have the spiritual gift of leadership, but you're musically inclined or you're very naturally inclined to understand tech. So how can you start to use that and understand, oh, okay, I'm going to go into designing apps but how is my ability or how is my command to love God and love people going to infiltrate those natural desires and dreams that I have? How am I going to make my dreams, my plans, how am I going to infuse my will with God's will? And that plays into that Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now guys, let me re-explain this. That does not mean I take delight in the Lord and he's going to be, he's going to give me the home I always wanted. Delight myself in the Lord. He's going to give me the relationship I always wanted. Delight myself in the Lord. He's going to give me the job I always wanted. This is not a prosperity gospel verse. But when you delight yourself in the Lord, he's going to shift and shape and change your heart and change your passions. And your heart's going to look more like his heart. And your passions are going to look more like his. The things you delight in are going to look more like the things he delights in. So as he takes your spiritual gift, your abilities, as he shapes your heart, you start to see where's my, kind of my sweet spot? How am I going to be the most effective and really just drive this sucker right down the middle of the fairway? Your personality. I got to speak against this a little bit. I had a, a, a church leader in my past who overtly said shyness is a sin. No, not the case at all. God has wired you in such a way to be able to connect with certain types of people. Had a conversation um, with somebody just in the last couple of weeks in a sense of how you're wired, the, the experiences that you've had, that you're going through, but also who you are as a person. God has shaped you in such a way to be able to connect with certain types of people that you're going to be able to reach people that only you can reach. And that is a beautiful thing. And last but not least, your experiences. I think about Paul in Philippians 3. As he's called to further the gospel, as the Lord shapes and changes his heart, 
I love how he brags on his past, but in like a kind of a backwards way. But in Philippians 3, I think about how he describes this. Middle of verse 4, it says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So his experiences, his upbringing shaped his outlook on serving the Lord. So what happens is as you start to go through all these things and see what are the natural abilities I have, what are the things that God has placed in me in the, in the form of spiritual gifts, where is my heart leading me? That, man, I just, I love working with kids. But my, my personality is very introverted. And I have a spiritual gift of administration. So maybe God is calling you into something to be a school administrator or to be a counselor or whatever that might be, and you start to look at how all these different things work together, and you start to find your niche, you start to find how that calling, that command to love God and love people is infiltrating and, and infusing its way into what you feel God has called you to as an individual. And you start to see this beautiful harmony, this beautiful marriage of the two. So God, listen, guys, listen, I want to be clear on this. There are very clear things God has called each and every one of us to. Love him, love people, the one another's. Go make disciples. None of us have a free pass from that. But God has something specific for you. And I promise you this, it's not something you have to go hunt for. This isn't like a, oh, go seek and find your destiny. No, God is shaping and preparing something for you that maybe he's already placed you on that path, placed you on that traje trajectory. Maybe you're still seeking it. But I promise you this, you have, when we're wrestling with God, what do you want from me? Your safe space, your, your, your home base, the one place you know, hey, I will never be outside of God's will. As long as my heart's desire is always to love him and love people. And that I would walk in a way worthy of the invitation to bear his name. So I'm going to walk in such a way that I bear the name of Jesus as an engineer. I'm going to walk in such a way that I bear the name of Jesus as a businessman, I'm going to walk in such a way that I bear the name of Jesus as a musician, as an artist, as an archaeologist, whatever it might be. I'm going to love God, I'm going to love people, and I'm going to bear his name. And the beauty of God's will, and I know this sounds terrifying, is if that is your heart's desire, the day-to-day, -day, the patches of, okay, so what job, God? There's a real possibility he may be looking at you and say, I don't care, dude. Are you bearing my name? Are you loving God? Are you loving me? Are you loving people? Then I don't care if you're a pastor or a garbage man. You're in my will. If you're loving me, you're serving me, you're bearing my name because I've invited you to that. 
And guys, sometimes I think we get that backwards. We're not, we, we don't need to sit and wait around saying, God, when are you going to invite me to my profession? When are you going, going to invite me to my career? When are you going to invite me to my job? When are you going to lay that before me, make that clear for me? There's a good possibility God's his inviting to you is over. I've invited you to bear my name. That's all you need. I've invited you to bear my name. Now, as you are going, carry that with you and make disciples. Now, like I said, next time, get a little more practical. That's seven filters in making decisions. But with that, let's pray together. And then I want to give you guys a couple of reminders and we'll, we'll head out, spend some time together. Father, I praise you. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you have invited us by name to receive your name, to carry it with us, to be co-inheritors of the kingdom of God, to be a son, a daughter of the king. These beautiful titles, they're not superficial titles. They have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. So God, we thank you for that invitation. And for any of us that are longingly, nervously sitting, waiting for, yeah, but, but what job, what career, where do you want me to go? What do you, would you give us a peace that transcends all understanding in a world that says, you gotta figure out your 10-year plan, you gotta figure out your career, you gotta figure out your financial goals. Would you give us a peace that transcends all understanding? To say, hey, wherever you take me, Lord, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love people. I'm going to walk in a manner worthy of the invitation to bear your name. I'm going to walk worthy of that. Whether you call me to teach, whether you call me to be a toll booth collector, whether you call me to work drive through at McDonald's, I'm going to bear your name. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love people. If we can do that faithfully, God, we will never be outside of your will. So Lord, we thank you for our time together and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information on the Young Adult Ministry, follow us on Instagram or you can email us at youngadults at cornerstonelive.net.